Did you guys see Reese's shirt? Anyone notice what was on his shirt? Reese is a, a Texas A&M alum, right? And so, but he was wearing a Kentucky shirt today because he loves me so much uh, as, as a pastor. He just wanted to do that for me, especially the week after Kentucky beat A&M in basketball. That was pretty awesome of him to do. So, um, yeah, just, just love his faithful heart and service to this church. So, um, hey, we are... Uh, trugging along here in our uh, our endeavor to read through God's Word. Believe it or not, we are one month, uh, almost one month into it, uh, and I have marked on my calendar when we will be 10% done with reading the Bible, and so uh, it, that's coming up really, really quick, and, and it's, it's been amazing. Uh, at least for me, I have found myself just craving that time with God and diving into His Word. I'm reading things that, that I know I've read before, but in just an entirely new light and perspective, and so it's been awesome. Hopefully, you all are enjoying it as much as I am, and if you have not started yet, that's okay. Start today. Don't worry about catching up. 330 days in God's Word is better than no days in God's Word. So don't stress. Don't panic. Jump into God's Word today. We'll have, uh, we have a couple of one-year Bibles, I think, left in the lobby. Maybe one or two. And then we've got some reading plans. So uh, the, the last few weeks, the few sermons that we've had, they have been very uh, technically driven sermons. Reviews have been kind of mixed. Some of you have walked up to me and said, hey, this, this is amazing, I love this stuff. Others of you, I'm quite certain, have not slept as good as you've slept over the course of the last few weeks in church. And so to you uh, who were able to nap, you're welcome. That's what I'm here for. Uh, but but here's, here's why we're doing this. Here's why we're taking the time to talk through the whys and the hows of reading the Bible. Uh, is I want us to be able to confidently stand in front of our Creator, knowing His Works. There's going to be a time when each of us, because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, is going to be in front of him. And I know, without a shadow of a doubt, that I am probably going to be getting some things wrong. I, I know it. I'm a realistic person uh, that, that I just, I'm not perfect, so there's things I'm going to get wrong. I, I don't want to look at God, my creator, and say, well, I did that because someone told me so. Right? I, I don't want us as a church to ever take anyone's word for it. I don't want you to take Aaron's word for it. I don't want you to take your neighbor's word for it, your Sunday school teacher's word for it. I want you to take God's word for it. And so that's why we're jumping in. That's why it's just so important. And why we just wanted to pause and take a few moments to talk through how we read so we can just better equip ourselves to consume the word of God. And so as we move into today's message, we've talked about how do we know the Bible is true? We've talked about how do we read the Bible, and this week we're going to talk about how we live it. How do we apply it to our lives? We touched on it a little bit last week, and so we're going to just, just kind of process through it. Uh, and so I learned something new after last week's sermon that I love uh, when you guys come up and you teach me things, but, but there, are, there are two ways uh, that we could, should interpret the Word of God. So when you read through God's Word, most of the time you can put the Word into two different categories. The first category is prescriptive. So think of a prescription. Uh, a doctor gives you a prescription. He tells you you are to take these medications. So there's places in the Bible that we should read as God is telling us to do something. We read the Bible, and the Word of God is saying, hey, you should do this. For instance, when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, that, that, that is a prescription. He is telling us to do it. The other way is descriptive. So, so there are places in the Bible where the Bible is telling us what to do, and then there are places when the Bible is just telling us information. It's describing a situation to us. Last Sunday, we read through uh, Jacob and his sons, and, and, and if you remember reading through the text, uh, their sister was raped. 
Uh, and so Jacob's sons, I believe it was Simeon and Levi, took it upon themselves to go and destroy the village to avenge their sister, which, hey, good on them, but, but that, that, that is a descriptive text. God is not telling us to take matters into our own hands in that regard. So there's a difference there. And I think for most, for the most part, uh, when you use common sense, that you can figure it out. Now, we sometimes overlook the descriptive parts of the Bible. Like when, when people throw verses at me, like when they, when they communicate with me and they, they throw passages, uh, like I, typically it's the prescriptive verses. They're telling me, hey, you should do this, you should be this, you should act like this, and I get it. Those are important, but for me, my heart beats for the descriptive. Not that I don't like being told what to do. Uh, I'll submit to God's word, but I love, love, love reading through the stories in our Bible that just describe God's character. That, that, that open up my eyes to his love and his mercy and his grace. Seeing how he interacts with people just, just creates a richness in my relationship that other portions and places in the Bible doesn't. And, and so when we talk about how do you live, that's one of the things we have to take into consideration. And so this week, we're going to actually jump into one of the stories that we've been reading through, and I'm going to show you how I have applied this particular narrative to my life. And so if you have been current in your readings, you know that we have been walking through the story of Joseph, one of my most favorite stories. In fact, the first sermon series I ever preached ever at Hot Springs Wesleyan Church was the story of Joseph. And so uh, there's a little bit of PTSD when I jump up here and try to do it again because I remember how physically ill I was. I was standing behind the pulpit and my knees were literally hitting uh, each other. I was so nervous. And so, so hopefully I will do a little bit better today than I did back then, but uh, who knows? We'll see what happens. So, um, okay. So, how do we live? I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question, okay? This is rhetorical. You don't have to answer, but soak on it. What does life look like when you approach it with a confidence that God is with you? Here it is. What does your life look like when you approach your life with a confidence that God is with you in your life? So, so, so what does your marriage look like if you approach your marriage, your relationship with your husband or your wife, with the confidence that God is with you in that relationship? What, what does school look like if you approach your classes, your relationships with your teachers, the exams, whatever it is you're doing with the confidence that God is with you? What does your financial situation look like if you approach your financial situation with the confidence that God is with you? What does the heartache that you're going through, the tragedy that you're dealing with, the fear that is crippling you look like if you approach those things with the confidence that God is with you? One of the things I love about this story in Genesis about Joseph is I believe we have a perfect example of what life looks like when you answer that question affirmatively. God's with me. 
So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. And and as we dive into what's going to happen to Joseph, let me give you just a little bit of background information. So we pick up, and Joseph is 17 years old. We don't know much about him uh, other than uh, he was his father's favorite. His father's favorite. His father gave him a coat that kind of comes into play later on. We also know that Joseph was given the ability to have dreams by God and interpret them. Now, Joseph also had a little bit of a dilemma uh, in that, and this is really no fault of his own, because he was 17 years old, Joseph uh, was a little bit of a know-it-all. Right? Like, and, and if you have a 17-year-old kid, uh, like you, you maybe can relate to this. Sometimes like, you know, they're not an adult yet. They're not a kid really anymore. They're in between. They haven't quite figured things out. And typically, you know, like, at least for me, I knew everything when I was 17 years old. And I made sure everyone knew it. And that's what Joseph does. He has this dream. The filter hasn't quite been established yet in his life. And so he's like, hey, I'm going to tell my brothers this dream. And he says, so, so hey, brothers, I had this dream. And basically how I'm interpreting it is that that one day you, my older brothers, are going to bow down to me. You can imagine how well that went over, right? He has another dream, and the same thing happens, but this time his mom and his dad are included in the dream. And so he goes again, and he tells his brothers and his mom and his dad, and he says, guys, guys, I had had this dream, and, 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 and all of you are going to bow down before me. Now, culturally and socially, You have to understand, that does not happen. The old doesn't bow to the young in society. And so so that would have been a little bit hard to to process. And so so, so that creates some tension between him and his brothers. And to make matters worse, again, because Joseph was their father's favorite, they just kind of got to the point where like, you know what, we can't deal with this guy anymore. I'm sick of seeing that fancy coat Sick of him telling me that we're going to bow down to him, so we've got to do something. And so they conjure up a plan to kill him. They're going to kill their little brother. Well, they kind of come to their senses, and they say, you know what? Let's not not murder him, but but let's let's just sell him. Seems like a better option. Right, that we won't be so guilty. We'll just sell him into slavery. Oh, look, there's some traitors coming down the road. This is a good opportunity to get rid of him. So that's what they do. They sell him to some Midianite traders, and we pick up here as Joseph has been removed from everything he knows, everything familiar in his life, sold into slavery by the people who were to love him the most, and here's what happens. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmael, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now, listen to this. The Lord was with Joseph. Let me say that again. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. Now, now, when, when you think of someone whose life is defined by having the Lord with you, like, like being blessed by God, like what do you think of? You think of someone who has a relatively good life. They're doing good. I've never, ever thought of someone who was sold into slavery, removed from their household, as someone who would have been defined as having the Lord with them. This is a little off right off the bat. Next slide. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. 
Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field, so Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. And so right away, Joseph is elevated to this position of power. He's still a slave. He's still held in captivity. He's still away from his homeland. He's still away from his parents and his brothers. But, but, but God is, is beginning to do something. He's put in charge. Now, next slide here. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. I'm going to stop here for a second. If you've heard me uh, preach this sermon before, talk about this, this, this will be uh, kind of a refresh. But it's important to know that I think there are two types of pretty. There's regular pretty, right? And then there's Bible pretty, right? We have a finite amount of words in our Bible. And so how pretty does Joseph have to be to be listed in the Bible? Because we have a finite number of words. When the really important things go there, J J Joseph was Bible pretty. You understand? All right, are you with me? After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has trusted. He has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Now, because Joseph is Bible pretty, Potiphar's wife begins to take notice. And she begins to kind of seduce him a little bit. Come to bed with me, she says. And he resists. Now, when I read these narratives, there, there are times when I try to put myself in the place of some of the characters. Like, like what would I do? What would I do if I were in this story? For, for instance, if I were in David's shoes, would I have the faith and the courage to stand out in the field in front of the giant? I don't know. If, if I were living in Jesus' day and age and he came up to me and said, follow me, would I be willing to drop everything I had and go and follow this teacher? I don't know. If I'm in Joseph's shoes right here, when my life has been twisted and turned upside down in ways that I just can't hardly process here in this moment, do I stay faithful to God? Or do I begin writing my own story? I don't know. But Joseph stays faithful. Here's the question. What does life look like when you approach it with the confidence that God is with you? Verse 11. Here's what happens in the story. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. He got away. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, uh, her pride is a little beaten down now. She's been rejected more than once. She's a little frustrated. She called her household servants, and she conjures up this plan. She says, Look! This Hebrew has been brought, in, or brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed 
When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran outside of the house. And she kept his cloak beside her until his master, so Potiphar, came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew, that Hebrew slave that you brought to us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of his, this house. So you have to understand, she's accusing Joseph of raping her, right? He's now an accused rapist. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger, rightfully so. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there, <laughs> the Lord was with him. Now, sold into slavery, the Lord was with him. Accused of rape, the Lord was with him. Thrown into prison, the Lord was with him. At what point does Joseph say, you know what, God? I'm okay if you're not with me anymore. His life gets progressively worse and worse and worse, and all he's doing, the only thing that he's guilty of right here in this story, in this moment, is simply having faith. Verse 22, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. What does life look like? What does life look like when you approach it with confidence that God is with you? Church, if there was ever a person in the history of humanity that had a reason to believe that God had forgotten about them, that God had left them, that God had quit on them, that God was not with them, that person was Joseph. Like, if we were to read this story and we get to this point and it says, and then Joseph quit on, on God and he did his own thing, and honestly, I would not blame him because I'm thinking if I'm in his shoes, I'm probably doing the same thing. This isn't what life is supposed to look like, especially a life of someone who's so faithful and who apparently has God with him. What does life look like when you approach your life with the confidence that God is with you? And so we read this story, and I think there's some truths that we can walk away from. If, if this is how we are supposed to exist, if this is what it looks like when and if God is with us, if this is how we're supposed to act and behave, then we can learn from Joseph, well, well this is maybe what we can expect. So if you decide that you're going to walk through life with confidence, boldly claiming that God is with you no matter what, you need to know that life is probably not going to be that great. Approaching life with the confidence that God is with you does not mean, does not mean that life is always going to be great. Now, can it be great? Absolutely. Yes, it can be but that's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee if you submit your life and you follow God and you follow and walk with him and everything that you, there's no guarantee in the text that life is going to be good. There's no guarantee that you're going to be healed. There's no guarantee that you're not going to have an empty bank account. There's no guarantee that your marriage is going to be good, that your kids are going to listen, that your job is fruitful. None of that is guaranteed. But yet we're still called to walk in life 
with the confidence that God is with us. Now, first glance, that's a tough pill to swallow. It's really tough. But when you stop and think about the implications of this, well, it changes the way at least I go about my life. So if I'm reading this correctly and I'm understanding this story correctly, it means that God is with me in the the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. It it, it sheds a whole new light on that that, the the song that we sing, uh, Lord bless you and keep you and may his face shine upon you, that those things can happen, that the Lord can bless you even when life stinks. There's peace in that. There's peace in knowing that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear evil because God's with us. He promises to be right there beside us every step of the way. But that means sometimes those steps are going to be rocky. We're still called to approach life with the confidence that no matter what this world throws at us, God is with us. Here's what happens if you can do that. When you approach life with the confidence that God is with you, you're going to find eventually that God is working in your life. I, I, I don't know when in this story it finally clicks for Joseph. I don't know if every step along the way he begins to see, oh yeah, yeah, God, you were, you were there working. I, I, I totally see you now. Or if it, he had to get to the very end and get promoted to second in command in Egypt and rescue his family from famine that he finally realized. I don't know when it clicked, but he, I, sure, I surely know that at some point he was able to look back at his life and think, man, that was tough. That is certainly not the way I would have written my life. That is absolutely not the way I prayed my life would end up, but God, you were there. You were there every step of the way. If you're willing to confidently approach life with a confidence that God is with you, you're going to see, inevitably, God's working. This is why testimonies are so, so important to us as followers of Jesus. Because when we have a testimony, we can show, we can tell, hey, my life was so bad then, I messed up so bad there, I was so broken here, but look at what God has done. Isn't this amazing how he pieced this together? I, um, I shared this first service, and I, I to be a little bit careful uh, this morning here, but I, um, I made a decision shortly after graduating high school on where my life was going to go. And I won't get into the details now, but it was a significant decision, and one I thought that that's where God was leading me. And, and, and time passed, and as I was involved in this decision, I failed miserably. It's the only thing in my life that I failed at that I've not been able to go back and fix, and it haunts me to this day. To this day, it bothers me. After that season of my life passed, I get to a situation where I, I, my life is over. Like I'm broken. Everything that I was working for, everything that I was doing, like it's gone. What am I supposed to do? I question my faith. I question the validity of my life. I was broken. That moment, I had no idea where God was. In fact, I would have told you that he had disappeared on me. He had forgotten about me. You fast forward a few years later, in hindsight... Had that decision not fallen through like it did, I wouldn't have ended up at the school I ended up at. And if I didn't end up at the school I ended up at, I wouldn't have met my wife. And if I hadn't have met my wife, I'm almost certain that I wouldn't have put my life together to go into the ministry. 
And if I hadn't met my wife and gotten my life put back together, I'm confident that I wouldn't be here today. God was working every single step of the way. Some of it was really good and some of it was really bad, but he was there writing a story that only he could write, which is the second point here, the last point here. Approaching life with a confidence that God is with you draws people to notice. When you begin to live your life with the confidence that God is with you, people then begin to see something about you that's different. Joseph must have gone against the grain of society. Potiphar must have saw something different in Joseph. The warden must have saw something different in Joseph because they elevated him so quickly. A Hebrew elevated to positions of power in a foreign land. Again, socially and culturally, that doesn't happen, but it did because he was faithful. Church, we talk a ton about being kingdom builders here. Over and over and over again, you hear me say that we are called to gather, encounter, and ignite. I believe wholeheartedly that we are supposed to take this thing that God is doing here outside the walls of this church, and that's an overwhelming thing. It's overwhelming. For me, I'm terrified of it. I'm not sure how to do it most of the time, and so I suspect probably it's overwhelming from you. But, but, if this is true, and people notice, then sometimes all you need to influence the kingdom, sometimes the only thing God is calling you to do is to simply walk with a confident faith. That's it. Now, maybe more. But you start there. And you watch people notice. And when you live your life with the confidence that God is with you, when you are confident that he is coming before you and behind you and beside you, people start to notice, and then guess what God does? He writes a story in and with your life that only he could write. A big, God-sized, huge story. Far greater than anything you could have ever done on your own. I am certain that if Joseph had had his way, he would have stayed with his family. He would have been with his father. He would have sported that coat of many colors. That's not what God had in store for him. Unfortunately, God's plan for Joseph was to have his life completely disrupted. And at any moment in time, Joseph could have said, you know what, God, I quit. I'm out. I'm done. Thanks, but no thanks. None of us here would have blamed him. At least I wouldn't have. But because he doesn't, because he continues to walk forward in each day with the confidence that God is with him, God does something with his life that he had. There's no way he could have predicted. Because of this, a people was saved. Really special people. You understand if Joseph at any moment in time quits this, the nation of Israel starves in a famine. And if the nation of Israel starves in a famine, there, there's no Moses. There's no Moses, then there's no probably David. There's no David, there's no Jesus. And if there's no Jesus, then you and I, our story looks completely different. But because one man simply walked confidently that God was with him, God rewrote history. And I wonder, I wonder if you couldn't do the same with us. I wonder if maybe, maybe, he's asking you to do the same. Maybe you're we're looking at our lives and we're thinking, this is, this is not how I planned it. This is not what I wanted. It's not the story I would have written for myself, but maybe God's simply saying, you know what? Just be confident. Trust that I'm with you. 
watch what I will do. The text we read this morning in the uh, Gospel of Matthew is one of, one of my favorite stories when Jesus walks on water. There, there's comedy in that that I love where Jesus just kind of strolls up by the boat. I think it's kind of funny. Uh, and his disciples are, are rightfully scared. Uh, but, but then Peter, in true Peter fashion, says, I, I want to be out there with you, Lord. And at that moment in time, he was so confident in his faith with Jesus that when Jesus said, come, that's what he did. He stepped over the side of the boat and Peter was walking on water. But guess what happened? The waves were crashing. The wind was swirling and he lost focus on Jesus. And when he lost focus on Jesus, what happened? He sunk. Jesus pulled him back up, reestablished focus. All was good church, that's you. That's us. We are called to be a church that is so laser-focused on who Jesus is and what he's doing in our lives that he then begins to write a story with us and through us not otherwise possible. First, he's calling you to be confident, to have faith in who he is, no matter what life throws your way. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for today. And the opportunity that we have to, uh, to worship you, to sing your praises, to, to participate in holy communion, Father, that, that, that you are a God who is actively involved in our worship, that when we do this, we, we, we engage and we encounter you in a, a way that, beyond logic, really. And I thank you for this moment here. Father, I, um, I know, I know for certain that there are, there's some of us sitting in this room whose lives is nothing, nothing like they thought they would be. That, that this world has either blessed or taken away. And, and Father, regardless of, of where they are, where we are, my prayer is that from this moment on, no matter what tomorrow may hold, they, we, walk in a confidence that you, our sovereign God, is with us. We ask these things in Jesus' most holy and blessed name. Amen.